0: You're listening to episode 105 of the Tennis Files podcast. The
1: best diet for your tennis game with Jeff Rothschild. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now here's your host, Marban Iranshad.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm actually at the City Open here in D.C., a professional tennis tournament for the ATP and WTA tours, and I've been covering it the entire week. So nine straight days of tennis, the qualifying rounds on Saturday, Sunday, and then the main draw throughout the finals on Sunday. And it's been a blast, and I've been conducting some great interviews so far with some top players. Uh, But uh, today I want to bring you an episode with Jeff Rothschild, and he is a registered dietitian and NSCA certified strength and and conditioning specialist as well with a master's degree in nutritional science. And today we're going to talk about the best diet for your tennis game. And we're not just going to talk about one diet, but Jeff is actually going to talk about several different types of diets, maybe you're on one of them, and he will kind of dissect the best diet and the best types of foods to eat for tennis players in particular, because of course, depending on our lifestyle and our sports that we play, one diet may be better than the other. But Jeff is going to pinpoint with his many, many years of expertise and coaching some of the greatest players as well, like, uh, well, consulting with Mike Bryan, Stefan Kozlov, and even James Valentine from Maroon 5. It's uh, really going to be a great episode for you to get an insight into what food does for your body, uh, to your body, and how it can help you play better tennis. So without further ado, here is my interview with Jeff Rothschild. It's a great pleasure and honor to have Jeff Rothschild with me. Jeff is a returning expert here and uh, with good reason because he's a fantastic uh, individual and has great expertise in the, in the area of uh, nutrition, dieting, and many others, as I'll explain in a moment. Um, but to give you some background on Jeff, uh, Jeff is actually a registered dietitian with a master's degree in nutritional science and a board certified, uh, he's also a board certified specialist in sports dietetics. I hope I said that correctly. Uh, And Jeff's clients include multiple Olympians, collegiate All-Americans, and professional tennis players as well as people uh, trying to complete their first triathlon, recreational gym goers, and people who want to feel better, improve their energy levels, and learn how they should be eating to achieve their goals. So uh, Jeff has a experience with a wide spectrum of different people and athletes. Uh, Jeff also teaches college sports nutrition at CSU Los Angeles. Uh, He's been a consultant for the men's tennis team at Loyola Marymount University, and he also stays actively involved in scientific research, which we all love to hear, especially for this area. In addition to all of Jeff's uh, great accomplishments and work, he has a great website at www.eatsleep.com fit. But Jeff, it's really great to have you on again.
2: Well, cool. I'm happy to be back.
0: Yeah, definitely, uh, Jeff. And today's session, uh, we're going to talk about various different diets and uh, really what what the best ones for tennis are, because uh, I know there's a lot of different diets out there. I've looked up many myself and it's very confusing. And that's why we're bringing on a great expert like Jeff to help us with this. So, uh, Jeff, uh, any uh, first thoughts on all this?
2: Well, yeah. So what we're going to do today, we're going to look at a few really popular diet trends. Um, I guess I'm reluctant to say fad diets because, as you'll see, we'll, we'll talk about whether they're legit or not, but we'll talk about the current trends that um, I'm sure most, if not all, of the listeners um, would have been hearing about. And we'll see how they apply, if they're appropriate, you know, who they're appropriate for, and, and the things to, to look out for. Okay. Yeah. So let's, let's jump into it. We'll talk about, again, kind of these different trends in, in diets that people have heard about. So we'll look about, we'll look and talk about the paleo diet. We'll talk about the whole 30. We'll talk about a keto diet or ketogenic diet. We'll look at a vegan diet and we'll talk about some forms of fasting. But so just quickly about me you gave a, an excellent introduction. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll skip over this, but, um, I said I have a, a a long background playing tennis, working with tennis players, uh, coaching college tennis. So hopefully I can you know share some of what I've learned over the years with with the uh, with you today, Mervin. Awesome. So let's jump right into the paleo diet. So people have probably heard about this. It's I say been fairly popular for a while now, and essentially it's avoiding grains, legumes or beans, and dairy products, as well as processed foods and refined sugar. So what does that leave? Essentially meat, fish, chicken, et cetera, and vegetables, nuts and seeds, fruit, starches, and again, no sugar so foods that would you would be fi- uh, that you would find on the paleo diet again, kind of what what you might expect the things we just talked about, essentially whole foods, real foods, whereas things on, like on the right side of the screen, not on the paleo diet, um, essentially any processed foods so the first question, like, is it legit? Meaning is there any science behind it? And, and the answer is, is yes. Um, we see, this is just one study where the a paleo diet, this type of template improved lipid col- uh, concentration. So people that had high cholesterol had, um, their, their cholesterol levels improved more than a traditional dietary recommendation for a heart healthy diet. Uh, we also see that it, uh, outperforms, uh, in this case, Nordic nutrition recommendations uh, um, regarding like fat mass and abdominal obesity and, and triglyceride levels, as well as, uh, blood pressure and glucose tolerance. And again, lipid profiles, even without weight loss. So the answer is yes, It it is definitely legit. Like, so there's, you can't, you couldn't say, um, that, you know, this is going to be harmful in most cases. Also, I should take a sidestep and say with everything we talk about today, this is, um, general, um, you know, consensus for most people, for healthy people, for you know, the, the entire population of anyone who might be listening. Now, of course, if there are people with specific medical conditions, that requires, um, you know, working with a specialist. And, and obviously, you know, you have to consider your individual situation uh, in the context of anything we talk about. So, with that said, again, with, uh, a, let's say, a, a generally healthy person, the paleo diet is, you know, quote, legit. Now the question of is it for me that's another question now so you know we can say on one hand yes there's science backing it but is it is it appropriate for me or for you um, it can be restrictive not terribly restrictive once you get used to it but but it can be um, it's it's not necessarily low carb but it's kind of low carb so I think it's wrong for people to think it's just like no carbs and all meat that's that's a um, inaccurate portrayal typically uh, potatoes would certainly be okay but even white rice and I know Technically, white rice is a grain, but most people in the paleosphere um, you know when, when we're talking about someone healthy and especially someone doing sports, no one really gets too bothered about white rice um, so it can be low carb but it doesn 't have to be now when we talk about the whole thirty diet, it's essentially the same thing you're avoiding sugar and, and grains and legumes and dairy and these baked goods, and they want you to do it essentially for thirty days to you know get a sense of, of what happens so is it legit? Yeah, it's actually just a branded paleo diet. Um and they they include some social support. So you might see this that logo, it's you know, certain foods are whole 30 approved. They've got cookbooks, you get emails. So again, it's it's they've taken the paleo diet and kind of um really, like I said, yeah, branded it, provided um some encouragement. You know, you'll get emails on certain days. So it's it can be a useful, uh useful tool. So again, is it for you? Well, it's probably worth a try for most people, but and this is important, you want to make sure you get enough carbohydrate if you're playing a lot of tennis, for example, or if you're, you know, generally doing any high intensity of exercise, high intensity exercise. Um, and you still, you can do that. Um, you just have to be a little bit, um, let's say strategic with it. So then, oh, did you have a question?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, Jeff, thanks. So I was curious about legumes, which (laughs) to me is a fancy word for, I guess, mostly beans, but, uh, what, What's the rationale? Because I've heard a lot of great stuff about beans, Uh, uh, like why why they take beans out of there.
2: Yeah, you know, there, there's I, th- I really think there's not a lot of great rationale. I think it was initially like uh, mm, something. I don't know where actually where it stems from exactly, but there's there's some things in beans that inhibit um, absorption of other nutrients. But the thing is, and there's things called lectins, which are some people might have heard of that are you know essentially not good. These plant defense mechanisms, however. When you prepare them properly, like cooking the beans, and especially if you've soaked them and germinated them, those things, those harmful things really uh, basically go away, disappear. So there's, I don't think there's a compelling reason to avoid beans. Um, so, you know, and again, most people that are in the paleo world, uh, maybe I shouldn't say most people, but many people that are, you know, otherwise healthy and they, they um, you know, essentially just feel better or, or they, they're they fine when they have beans. Some people that have, let's say, gut issues or maybe some autoimmune issues, they just don't tolerate um, any of the beans very well. And that could be f- for a variety of reasons related to gas and for, you know, just usually digestive issues. So I guess it's, if you take like someone who's not well, not not super healthy, you want to eliminate all these foods that can potentially be problematic. But if we're talking about a healthy person, um, you know, there's, I don't see any, um, legit reason to avoid beans.
0: Perfect, Jeff. And sorry, one other follow-up here is uh, uh, to clarify, you mentioned white rice is generally okay in this diet. Uh, what about uh, brown rice?
2: Yeah. So again, that's um, brown rice, in my opinion, is totally fine. Um, the difference between white and brown, broadly speaking, is brown will have more nutrients. So you're getting fiber and some more vitamins than is in white rice, but it might be a little bit hard to digest for some people. So um, white rice is, you just think of it as just pure, like pure carbohydrate, pure glucose, nothing else, um, you know, that much nutritious in there, but there's nothing else that's really going to cause too much digestive issues. So again, if we think about people that ha- might have some type of gut issues, white rice can be the safer choice. Um, I think it's, I, I don't see any problem with brown rice again, for someone that doesn't bother, but I do know, again, people that, um, just don't tolerate it. Well, again, it just maybe gives them stomach issues or something like that. So.
0: Gotcha, Jeff. And sorry, I have another question. Uh, I've seen in Costco and actually consume this, but they have like light brown rice. And I'm just curious because I didn't, to be honest, read up on that much. Like, is that just like a hybrid where it has like some nutrients, but not as much as fully brown rice?
2: Probably. um, I haven't. I don't know the exactly what you're talking about. But but essentially, there's like I would think it's a degree of like how refined the rice is. Mm -hmm. So
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Thanks.
2: Cool. All right. So yeah. So getting past that, then we can talk about the ketogenic diet or the keto diet, and that's essentially a very low carbohydrate diet. So less than fifty grams of carbohydrate per day, and it's very high in fat. So the carbohydrates typically would come from just vegetables. Um, You know, you're going to get, even though we don't think of like green vegetables and and tomatoes and things like that as carbohydrate foods, there is some in there. So if you're essentially there, less than fifty it's just going to, they're kind of going to just show up a little bit. Um, So put another way, you're just avoiding carbs as much as possible. And then you have to, again, have very high fat. So you actually have to add fats typically. So is it legit? Yeah, there is lots of research available. And um, it's, you know, in in, largely speaking, not harmful, though, there you could argue, some, some people don't seem to tolerate it well, meaning some people's cholesterol and things will go in the wrong direction on a ketogenic diet. But Overall, most people can be quite you know can be quite healthy with the diet, so you can't say inherently it's unhealthy, but there is some important nuances there. so one is it is it for me? so it's very restrictive um, and the a couple of the important things you need to include a range of vegetables and a range of fats. so what I mean is technically if you just ate like bacon all day, you know you'd be in ketosis or on a keto diet um, but the the range of vegetables give you these different uh, types of fiber. So you want to include, you know, the different leafy greens and, and all different colored vegetables because the one, the things that give fruit and vegetables the color are what give a lot of the health benefits to us. And they um all the vegetables will have different types of fiber. So you want to get this variety of fiber in your diet. So that's super, super important. And also not just having uh, again, just to pick on bacon, only bacon, but a mix of plant fats and animal fats. Um, so it might be some butter and or ghee and uh, avocado and olive oil and and things like that so you're really uh, kind of diversifying even though it's it's within the context of a fairly let's say restrictive diet you still can be quite diverse if you want to do it see optimally i don't think this is ideal for tennis Um, uh, out of all the diets we'll talk about today this is probably the least ideal for tennis if someone has you know you, you might hear about people losing 80 100 pounds on this type of diet it can be effective for these huge um you know large amounts of weight loss um but i'm sure potentially some people listening to this might fall into that category but if someone is let's say on a if they're not looking for weight loss um i would not recommend it um some people you know you read about claims of of brain function and clarity and things like that um there's more nuance to that and and i think it's it's not this magic bullet to make you a genius. Uh, I think if you do have like brain fog on carbohydrate, there's a different issue going on and that's worth fixing that instead of just trying to, uh, you know, have a ketogenic diet. So, um, so I don't want to, I don't think we need to spend too much time on that because I really don't think it's ideal for someone playing, appreciable uh, amounts of tennis or doing high intensity exercise. That takes us to, in some ways the opposite, and that would be a vegan diet. So, that's no animal products. Now, of course, there's vegetarian, and there's pescatarian, and, and several shades in between, um, but I really wanna just focus on the vegan diet because it's, it's that's a fairly clear cut. Vegetarians, the, so the difference, vegan is no animal products, vegetarians might include eggs or dairy, so products of animals, but without the animals themselves. And then again, m- many, um, so are some vegetarians will also eat fish and things like that. So let's just focus on vegan diet for a minute because that's actually gotten quite uh, popular. Is it legit? Um, I guess I would say kind of. You can be healthy, but I do question the long-term, like whether you could be healthy uh, long-term without a lot of supplements. It does, um, you know, and this is a a list that not necessarily everyone um, on a vegan diet needs to worry about, but the common uh, deficiencies or things people don't get enough of on a vegan diet might just be calories overall or protein, vitamin B12, iron all all these things in here. Um, so they can be supplemented, but you know, we, we typically want to get it from food, um, for a number of reasons. So I guess I'm a little, um, less, um, thrilled about a vegan diet. Typically. Um, if I have vegan clients, I consider it a win. If I can get them to sneak in some type of fish or, or egg or, or protein powder, that's, you know, um, because I, I want them to have a complete complete diets. Now with that, people might say, oh, you get protein from let's say chickpeas or something. So we'll take a a small detour and a little, little deeper into the science to look at the differences in protein. So when we think about like 25 grams of whey protein, so if you have a whey protein supplement and you just have one scoop of whey protein, let's say it's 25 grams, these on the screen, these are these individual amino acids. So these are like the building blocks that make up a protein. So again, like one serving of whey protein is actually this many grams of this one and this many grams of, of this one and so on. And let's focus in on one in particular, leucine. We see that there's 2.6 grams per 25 gram serving. And this is important because there exists what's called a leucine threshold. And that means, um, actually, let me take a step back. Um, to turn on muscle protein synthesis, so the, the, the building up of muscle, uh, leucine is the, is the main signal. So if we've eaten a meal, it's the leucine that really does the the main. Uh, let's say it's one of its main roles is to to initiate this muscle building response. But there's a threshold to where it has to hit around where that black line is. Um, it has to hit that mu- hit that spot to to f- essentially flip on the light switch, right? So that initiates the muscle. Protein synthesis response, and then the other um, amino acids. There, think of it like the the building blocks. So, leucine turns it on, but but all of them contribute to to building, let's say, muscle in this case. Okay, if we look at hemp protein, also twenty five grams, so like one one serving basically. And we look at leucine, we see that it's much lower. So it's not that hemp protein is inherently inferior, either overall or for making uh, building muscle. It's just that um, you need you might need to have Let's say 40 grams or th- or 45 grams to enable to hit that leucine threshold to optimally turn on that muscle protein synthesis, right? So you can't. Um, so what we could say is one for one. Um, pro- the protein between plant and, and animal sources are, are are different, but it's not that you can't get enough uh, from plant sources. You just have to to you know essentially eat more.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, Jeff. And I, you know, sorry in case you're going to go into this, but oh, that's okay. But, but uh like what <laughs> what vegetables? have the most uh most leucine
2: well vegetables aren't going to really not, no vegetables will have it um but uh legumes so all the all the beans are going to be typically the best source of a vegan protein gotcha cool so there's this place um in I'm, I'm in santa monica in los angeles so there's a lot of those kind of like you know expensive healthy cafes this place called creation um and if you see this i saw well i saw this uh shake and you know it looks delicious almond, vanilla, and date, like what could be bad? And it's called protein power. And, uh, it's recommended for muscle building and stamina, but you know, I, I, me being me, I thought, well, w- w- wait a minute, let's think about this a little more, a <laughs> little more. If it's just, if this is really the ingredients, we look at one ounce of almonds, wow. which is 160 calories. And we see how much leucine in there is in there. And so we you know that far is fall that falls far from what we really need for muscle building and even if we had a cup of almonds in there which is 650 calories we're still not getting enough uh to really turn on this muscle building response so um uh, you know while this shake is delicious we can clearly say and i don't even know how much almonds are in there but i'm sure it's not 650 calories worth um we can we can be pretty confident saying we cannot recommend this for muscle building and stamina
0: and worst of all they misspelled creation which i just find Uh, unbelievable (laughs) just kidding
2: (laughs) so vegan diet like so is it for me well again it's it's very restrictive like that's kind of a trend with some of these well trends may seem to work well for a while and then you might feel worse so this is another important point so dietary inadequacies might take some time to add up so initially if you go vegan for you know a week you might actually feel great um, but something like vitamin A, for example, we you might think, okay, I, I need I can get vitamin A from carrots or from potatoes. That's kind of true, but the the beta carotene is actually a precursor to vitamin A to use. So as one example, and what we need to do is then convert that into the active form of vitamin A, and some people are better than that at that than others. So some people might feel. Uh, might be able to to essentially tolerate a vegan diet because they're good at converting some of these precursors to the usable forms of vitamins, whereas some people might be really bad at that. And so um, they might really start to add up these dietary inadequacies um, because their body's not able to, again, in this case, convert beta carotene to vitamin A. So, And actually, even uh, regardless of that, um, these deficiencies that we looked at a few slides back or these nutrients of concern Um, I like to imagine like a bunch of test tubes. So every like vitamin and mineral we can think of, imagine there's a test tube. It's, they're all like 20 or 30 or 40 test tubes all laid out and they're all kind of filled up when you're on a complete diet. Um, and then if you switch to a essentially incomplete diet, those test tubes, some of them will keep their, their levels elevated, but some of them are just going to kind of be gradually depleting. And maybe there's some point at let's say 20%, um, where you start to feel this inadequacy and that might take um, 3 months or even 3 years to kind of gradually dip down into the to the point where it could be concerning.
0: Yeah, Jeff and just a for the comment. Uh while I was in law school which was yeah, quite a few not quite a few but a few years ago, um I actually went on a vid, well, I guess vegetarian diet and at first, it was great for me. I lost, uh, I think, like seven or eight pounds in a month maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, my endurance, I think, went up probably as a result of the weight loss partially. But I felt like I didn't, uh, that my strength went down uh, mm-hmm. when I was lifting in the gym. And so I, I, th- I think I attributed that to not having a better variety in my diet, but it seems also from, especially from these awesome graphs that you had that I probably just wasn't getting, I mean, among other things, not enough leucine and I, I don't think I was yeah. supplementing enough. So this is very, very interesting stuff and uh, really shed some more light on why maybe somebody who's a vegetarian or vegan might not get uh, as much uh, gains in the gym as they might not, as they would want.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And and the good news though is um, uh, you know, there's some good plant-based protein powders. So if you know, if, if that if someone relates to what you just said, you know, um there's uh two that come to mind are are more popular, Vega and Garden of Life are two brands that make protein powders. And you'll notice they have a sport each of them have a sport version, and the sport version essentially has more leucine in it. So they they combine uh different sources of of plant-based proteins to to add up to essentially the the good amounts of the things that you really need for muscle building so if there is a an af- athlete who is vegan or vegetarian and he wants to use a plant-based protein they, there are some good options
0: yeah i've definitely seen those brands around jeff i actually well, i don't mean to well okay i won't name the brand but there was one uh organic like vegan brand that i uh tried and and I, I liked it a lot, but then one batch that I got, it was super like grainy and sandy, and I think it was just some sort of uh, a bad batch. And then I actually stopped having them. But so I don't know if like you've ever seen that as a common thing, especially with supplements not being really regulated. Um, yeah,
2: much, uh, that's that's a, that's a good point. Um, um, there are certain supplements that are tested by third parties, and two notable third parties are informed choice or informed sport and NSF certified for sport. So if you see, um, a a product with that stamp on it, that means they've this company has paid this other company to essentially test for the quality control and things like that. And so that's the best, that's something important to look for with any supplements.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Great point there. Thanks.
2: Cool. So, um, one way to, one thing to do is you can essentially check yourself. Uh, there's a couple of different, uh, there's a lot of different websites actually, but paleo track is one. That's what this is a screenshot for. Um, sorry. It's a little bit blurry, but what you do is you put it's in this case, it's free. You put your you know dietary intake for a day in and those vitamins and minerals, they will change color. Like if you get enough, it's green. If it's, you know, not deficient, it's red and so on. So you can see really, am I getting enough stuff? It doesn't um, necessarily tell you how much protein you should be getting. Cause that, you know, that's, it kind of depends. Um, uh, but actually with, with protein, as you see, I have it here on the screen, a rough goal for you for how much protein you need is if you take your body weight and multiply it times 0.6 and then times 0.8. And that's a, a good range for how much protein you should be getting per day. Okay. Awesome. Um, and then, you know, my fitness pal is another one, but this one, I like this one just because of the, the user interface. Um, and it's really easy to use. So, and then I, I, I do want to talk about fasting for a minute. And there's a few different ways to to practice type um, fasting. You might hear about intermittent fasting and that sometimes people use it to refer to a limited eating window, which I'll get to in a second. But I like to think of it as a, it's kind of an umbrella term to um, talk about some type of purposely um, restricting, or I should say to, to, um, as an umbrella term for any time of, any type of restricting um, that you're doing from your normal diet. So there's two options that I typically use. Um, One is this 5-2 approach, and this is more in the case with weight loss. Um, So if we think of like a normal, let's say your normal intake is 2,500 calories per day. And if you eat 2,500 calories per day, you'll maintain your weight, okay? And then you say, okay, well, I want to go on a diet, so I'm going to restrict by 500 calories a day, so I'm going to do 2,000 calories a day, and that would put me at 14,000 calories at the end of the week. As an aside with tracking, it's, it's very tough to do it extremely accurately, but let's say for this example, you're able to weigh and measure your food absolutely perfectly, so you know, I'm getting exactly 2,000 calories a day, I need 2,500, so I should be in a 500 calorie deficit each day, right? That should lead to weight loss, uh, and it will for some amount of time um, both to be accurate in creating a 500-calorie deficit as well as just to maintain it because, well, obviously you're, you're depriving yourself. Another option is this 5-2 approach where two days, two non-consecutive days per week, you, you consume around 500 calories. And if you do that, you can consume 2,600 calories on the other five days per week and have that same deficit of 14,000 at the end of the week. So you'll still be losing essentially the same amount of weight, but you only feel like you're on a diet two days per week. And that might sound like it's unhealthy, but it's fairly well studied. It's not unhealthy. Um, It's tends to be, for some people, easier to adhere to, comply with. Um, Obviously, you wouldn't want to do that on the day you were playing tennis. Um, But if you had like a couple of off days or some flexibility in your schedule, and you just wanted to really restrict, also, it's it's quite a bit easier to count 500 calories because you know it's well, it's not very much food, so it reduces the uh, margin for error. So that's one approach that I definitely use with people. But if you're training a lot and if you're training every day, this is not a good approach. The other option is what people sometimes refer to as intermittent fasting, whereas you're just limiting your eating window. So what from the time you start eating till the time you stop eating. If you start at 6 a.m. and you stop at 6 p.m., like uh, that's a 12-hour eating window. If you start at, say, 10 a.m. and, and uh, uh, stop at 6 p.m., it's like an eight-hour window. And so this has been gaining in popularity. And it can be, and it's also uh, fairly well-studied, so- somewhat well-studied, but seeming to be safe and effective. Obviously, if you're eating in a 12- or 13-hour window, it's really not even much of a thing for most people. It's like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. or something like that. Um, that's not much of a stretch for people. However, sometimes people do eat within a 15 or 16-hour window. They start eating at maybe 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. and they eat until 9 or 10 p.m. And so if you go from there down to 12 hours, you'll see quite a bit of benefit. And, you know, or if you don't have to go to this 8-hour window, sometimes people think there's just like magic. You have to do it 16 hours off and 8 hours on. But, um, you know, 9, 10, um, 11 hours will still give some benefit. Uh,
0: Jeff, so with with this uh, limited eating window, I've actually – Uh, I know quite a few or several people who are doing this, uh, especially from work, but I mean, what's the main benefit? Like what, if, what if I'm like, (laughs) you know, I, I would just gorge myself in these 12 hour, this 12 hour window. Like, I don't, I don't know, like what, what's the main benefit for trying it?
2: Yeah. Uh, with, you know, with a 12 hour window, I I don't even see that as much of a thing that to me is just like good health. Like, you know, leaving about 12 hours, um, it's, you know, I typically eat between like seven and seven. So that's like, you know, just normal. So it's not gonna, you're not gonna see much of a benefit, but um, unless of course you typically eat in 16 or 18 hours, but um, the benefit is, one benefit is that it's, it's purposely, um, especially if you crunch it down to nine or 10, you're gonna essentially eliminate some foods that you would have otherwise eaten. So you might be, you know, really eat big in that window and you probably, and so you could probably gain weight by eating in an eight hour window, but if you eat kind of like normal, what happens with most people is they just, it's like stop eating after dinner. So they've cut out whatever the bowl of cereal at night or, you know, the ice cream or whatever it is. So, you know, in in many ways, it allows someone to not count calories, but still be in a bit of a deficit. Now, with that said, there might be some additional benefit to these extended overnight fasts, um, slightly extended. So, so the stuff that happens at night, like the repair processes and things like that, you're giving your body a little extra time to do that. And so there, there probably are some benefits that extend beyond the calories. Um, but we, I think it's easiest to just think about that as like one of the primary benefits.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, Jeff. And as a funny aside, I just had a visual of myself with like uh, two tubs of ice cream at 655, just like speed shoveling. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know that—that's the thing. You know, sometimes people might get into that, and even myself. I, even though I'm not on a, any strict routine, I, I do have. A, I don't like to eat past seven, and so sometimes I will shove a little extra food in right before that. But um, you know, you might do that once or twice, but I think as a habit, um, I don't—I don't think most people would do that. But of course, it's not for everyone. And if you find yourself as like trying to just get it in before the clock, then obviously that's maybe not for you. Yeah, thanks. But definitely interesting to, to, to learn about. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and so this actually, though, also with that, I I would bet if you ask your people, your friends at work or colleagues, um, when they do the window, a lot of times people have adopted this like skipping breakfast and um, eating from like noon to 8pm or something. I can say unequivocally, unequivocally, I'm not a fan of that. An earlier window seems to be better. Now, if you're just if it's allowing you to create a several hundred calorie deficit, um, and, and you used to eat like in a 12 or, or like a 15 or 16 hour window, and you cut it down to that noon to eight, like it can work for people. But comparing an earlier window to a later window, an earlier window is essentially always pretty much always going to be better. There's benefits um, to protein at breakfast. So, um, and this, you know, this would definitely go beyond the scope of, of this uh, conversation, but it, eating protein at breakfast makes you less hungry later in the day. Um, It increases your satiety, it it decreases your appetite, it really affects you even at breakfast, uh, excuse me, lunch and dinner. So it has what's called the third second and third meal effect. The breakfast can affect how your body processes food later in the day. So um, uh, you know, this is a dietary pattern that many people probably can relate to. And I can't tell you how many people I talk to that say, Oh, I just have a really light breakfast. And I'm really good at lunch. I just have like, you know, I don't know, a sandwich or something, and then, you know, and then after that the wheels come off. And people don't people have such a hard time connecting the fact that, you know, it's not that they're so um let's say bad after lunch or from the afternoon on. They're just hungry. Right. And so if you need twenty five hundred calories in a day and you eat nothing at breakfast or just a hundred calories or something, and then like a couple hundred calories left at lunch, your body's gonna be like responding to say, dude, you know, we're hungry. So this is not a good meal pattern ideally you know roughly balanced or you know maybe with snacks maybe without um but this will be much much uh, healthier and this also relates to like so if anything the opposite should be true because so, our body processes foods differently at different times of the day so earlier in the day if we think about it, the food's got to go somewhere it's either going to go to our muscle or our fat and our muscle cells are more open to those calories later in the day our fat cells are and similarly after exercise, our muscle cells are more receptive to those calories, and away from exercise, our fat cells are so depending on when you exercise, this would affect how your pattern should be. If you go to the gym before work, that breakfast after that should be um, you know one of the biggest meals, if not breakfast and then lunch, and then a smaller dinner. If you exercise maybe play tennis or, or go to the gym or something after work, then that's a, a case for having three more even meals, but this should never be uh, the case I can you know it's I, almost everyone I work with um, that that changes from this type of pattern to the other um, you just see like just so much drastic improvement in, in energy and and hunger and I mean just kind of everything so um, basically, if we start to sum this up, um, you know essentially what do I do right so some amalgamation there's some benefits of a paleo diet not eating too much processed foods um, one thing I, I didn't I kind of skipped over, but as far as a fasting, another option for fasting would be like a um, um, uh, 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 limiting your food options. So maybe a vegan Monday or something. And that really the benefit, I think it largely comes from a calorie reduction on a certain day. So that can be an approach. So if we think about like, okay, I want to get some protein at breakfast, we want 12 to 15 hour daily, or it should say overnight fasting window. And that kind of depends on the season. Uh, essentially, you want to eat most of your food when the sun is out. And you want to put more of your carbs around your workouts. So if you're not doing any exercise, then you don't need a whole lot of carbohydrate. But if you're doing a lot of exercise, um, then that's, you know, that's how you should, you know, where, where you should put them. So um, if you, again, have a hard workout in the morning, definitely getting protein at breakfast, but then, you know, having some carbs with that and, and maybe at lunch and then having a smaller dinner. Um, and so, yeah, that that really, is, it, you know, it can be kind of simplified down to those things. Um, and so kind of piggyback on that, um, I guess this is a good time just to, to mention um, what I've done for people. I, so I work with people um, you know, on a one-on-one basis, but I've also put together a video course that I'd be happy to share with you guys and and uh, included a, a discount code uh, for Tennis Files 2019. So you can get to that through my website at eatsleep.fit. And it'll, there's a tab on there for uh, courses for a tennis nutrition course, or you can just go eatsleep.fit slash learn and use that discount code. But essentially this gets then more into how to eat around the tennis and and so what we've talked about here so far is really just kind of general nutrition advice but i didn't want to leave people uh without something to like what should i eat before a match and on the court and in between and and how to hydrate and things like that so uh, i definitely wanted to share that with people
0: awesome appreciate that jeffy i didn't even know you were gonna do that and that's uh, That's very much appreciated and uh That's cool. And yeah, just to kind of piggyback, I mean, Jeff does fantastic work and I've had people email me about, uh, actually one that comes to mind is Haroon, who has worked with Jeff, uh, after learning about him, I think probably on the podcast is when he learned about you, Jeff. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and he's, he's been very happy. I actually met up with him, I think last year or so. And, uh, yeah, it was, so yeah, I mean, just great stuff. And I definitely highly recommend everybody to check out uh, the nutrition, uh, course from Jeff, just a uh, g- great quality stuff.
2: Cool. And yeah. And if you want to, uh, anyone wants to email me directly, it's RD at trifitla.com or of course through the website. Um, I know we jumped, we kind of ran through that fairly quickly. Do we have any other, do you think you have other questions related to that or, or unrelated?
0: Yeah, if you don't mind. So one is kind of, uh, actually not so unique. I was going to say unique, but, Uh, and I've struggled with this, so it's partially a selfish question, but for example, tonight I was duped, not duped, but you know, I, I, (laughs) my team, uh, they, I'm on a 5.0 team, a couple of them actually. And so they have a 9.00 PM match tonight, Eastern time. And so what's happened is, uh, sometimes I've, so I played these matches and uh, several times they've, they've been very intensive matches. And then I've come home. And it's like 1130 and I want to wake up early and I'm thinking to myself, what do I eat? You know, like I don't want to eat a, a huge meal and stay up like for a while. And, but, you know, sometimes I've had very small like snacks and then I've woken up at like 2 a.m. like dying of hunger. Yeah. And so I'm just <laughs> curious, like if, you know, what tips or what, you know,
2: what you advise
0: athletes like to do in that
2: situation. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's not ideal. You know, it's fun playing tennis and it's fun completing, but if, you know, from let's say nine to 1130 or 11 you know, that's just, it's not ideal by any stretch for our our bodies. With that said, if you're doing it, um, like you said, you don't want to eat too much at night. Um, I think that the best thing would be like a shake where you want some, you definitely want protein, 25 to 30 grams of protein and you want some carbohydrate. So you could like just mix, like you can have a banana or, you know, something like nothing too huge. And together that's, you know, if you did a, a, a shake with protein powder and a banana, I mean, that could be about say 200, 250 calories. It's not very much, It's nowhere near what you probably you know, should be getting in if, if you had played at 1 PM, but I think it's a good compromise to get something in your body, start your, let your muscles recover, kind of de-stress your body. Cause this is important too. If you think about exercise, um, you know, it, it's, it's a stressor on our body. That's how we get fitter. And, and that's kind of the point of exercise. Um, And if you exercise and then just don't eat anything, your body is still in that stressed state. So food is largely a signal to say, okay, stop breaking down and start building back up. So we're kind of turning off the stress response and we're going to rebuild. So, you know, again, you don't want to eat like, I don't know, a giant like plate of food. So the bare minimum of like how much protein, just getting something in like 25, 30 grams and then, um. Uh, yeah I think uh, some carbohydrate it could be a recovery drink that has carbohydrate and protein it could be some chocolate milk it could be um, you know just like a banana or a couple slices of bread or something
0: great stuff Jeff and uh, also uh, thinking about the vegan slash vegetarian diet so in order to get that through that threshold of I, f- I forgot if it was 2.6 two, right?
2: yeah around 2 yeah 2.2 two two something oh, okay though.
0: cool awesome of, of leucine so If you were to advise, um, you know, these, uh, these dieters to like introduce one or two proteins, I think you might've mentioned one or two actually, but just to like recap, like which proteins would you recommend that wouldn't be like too harsh for them to all of a sudden eat, but would be, uh, would be great and help them further with the vitamin. You you,
2: you mean, you're saying if someone was vegan, but they're open to like adding in some some non vegan thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah if they wanted, well, let say like, so a whey protein, but they, you can get a decent vegan um, protein powder. So that's not necessary. Um, I would say eggs. Um, actually, I know you mentioned like not too hard to digest. That That's a, a huge myth. Um, like there's nothing, you don't lose the ability to digest protein. So if you haven't had an egg in 20 years, it doesn't mean you can't, like you're having protein. Basically, um, if you think about protein as like a bunch of bricks, like all glued together. And then those separate bricks are those, the different amino acids like we looked at in that graph. But your body, even if you're consuming lentils, your body is breaking down those bricks and breaking them apart. So there's no difference. Um, it's not like, you know, people think it's pretty much, I, I think I should just say, it's, all, it's, it's a mental thing, um, a placebo effect or nocebo effect. Is actually, um, you can eat an egg after not having it for 20 years. You can have a piece of fish uh, you know, a chicken, whatever. Like, so, um, it depends on kind of how open the person is. I think eggs are a great, um, like if you're going to have one thing let's at least have eggs because there's so, so much good nutrition in them. Um, but if you would do fish, it kind of, like I guess, depends on the person. Um, I might get them to have, um, if someone was kind of open, I might have them do like liver pills, like supp- um, supplemental desiccated liver pills, um, because that's like nature's multivitamin and, and they probably would be hard pressed to get them to eat actual liver. Um, I think scallops are actually a good, um, no one really goes for this, but scallops don't have a central nervous system as far as I know. So if it's like a, um, if it's a, a humane reason people are vegan, um, I, you can't really argue with, with scallops as far as I'm concerned, because they don't feel the pain.
0: <laughs> wow. I'm glad because Gordon Ramsay. I don't know if you've seen him, but he goes really hard on scallops on his uh, show. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But yeah, awesome. Thanks for that, Jeff. Also, uh, one another question for you, probably I guess is a two parter. So um, as far as these diets, like first off, do you have any tips on tracking like an easy way to track as much as we need to track at least because I think a lot of people they think, you know, they, they, they want to like lose the weight and they want to track the calories, but they feel like the tracking itself is too much work and then they don't do that uh and then second part is tips for sticking with the diets as well like cuz some people like they try something for a while and then they just go to the next yeah one.
2: yeah those two good questions so tracking tracking is hard and i i rarely um have people my clients track calories because it is really hard and um I, just to like my my wife is also a dietitian and sometimes we'll be like just at dinner and like you know how much how much you know how many ounces of chicken do you think that is and like we, we kind of are pretty good at this point, at guessing, and sometimes we'll weigh it just to see, but like it's really hard for people that even that do this all the time to guess um, I mean, I guess if if you weigh long enough if you weigh and measure your food long enough, you get good at it, but um it's very hard, plus all the multiple ingredients like if you're eating out, it's just it's the the, the error uh, that's introduced is just so large, so I'm not a huge fan, but um, you're you're eating window, so that's a really good reason then to say, okay, it's super, um, inaccurate oftentimes to track food. But I know if I stop at 6 PM, 7 PM, okay, I'm I'm automatically eliminating that, um, you know, that, that bowl of cereal or whatever I have at night. So that could be really important. Also, you can think back to your protein goal. So, um, uh, we said, um, you know, 0.6 to 0.8 times your weight in that many grams of protein. So let's say that works out to 120. Um, and what you'd want to do is not have zero protein at breakfast and zero at lunch and then all of it at dinner, but ideally, um, roughly evenly distributed between three to four servings. So if your goal is 120 grams in a day, that could be, you know, three times 40 or four times 30 or some combination, you know? And so I might think, okay, what is, how, how do I get 30 grams of protein at breakfast? Well, it could be a shake. It could be a couple of eggs and some Greek yogurt or some combination. So rather I have people kind of essentially just track their protein and then once you, many people don't eat enough protein. And once you get enough protein, they find their And then, you know, veggies, you don't really have to worry about. So then they find they're like full, so much more full that you actually, um, spontaneously reduce, reduce your calories because you're actually getting adequate protein. So many people that again, restricting it, not getting any protein at breakfast and having like a salad for lunch. Yeah, of course you're starving. So that's why you snack in the afternoon and then you're starving and gorge on dinner when you get home. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, again, surprising to most people getting adequate protein. So that, that kind of takes care of it. And then to the second question, partly, you know, we have this different diet options, which is what we've talked about. Um, but it's, it's kind of when I, in that summary slide, uh, actually I'll just go back, you know, th- these are all, all the things that should set you up for good health are all, should be sustainable things. So it's not like you shouldn't feel like you're on a diet. But rather, you're just creating a new lifestyle, and I know that that's kind of cliche, and, and people say that a lot. But like, getting protein at breakfast, like that, that should be sustainable, right? I mean, yeah, once in a while, if you're traveling or something, it might be tricky. But even then, I, I think I, I do it basically every day, um, even when I'm traveling and so on. Twelve to fifteen hour, fat, you know, overnight fasting window. So basically, don't eat late at night. I'll um, in the winter when it gets dark earlier, I'll, I'll try to cut off by six p.m. But now, now that it's you know, summer, I'll, I'll go maybe more to like seven p.m. Um, and then I eat breakfast. So depending on when I have to leave the house, it's sometime between like 6am and 8am. So, you know, so I've eaten protein at breakfast and getting an appropriate amount breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm going to stop, not eat late at night. So I'm going to have enough time overnight to kind of let my body deal with the food. Most of the food when when the sun is out and then more carbs, uh, around the workout. So if I have, um, you know, I'm going to like Saturday, I'll probably go on a four hour bike ride. So Friday night. I'll, I'll have more carbs and, and Saturday after that and, and you know breakfast. And and after that, I'll, I'll have more carbs. So all these things that should set you up for good health, um, you know, they should be sustainable. And if you feel like they're not sustainable, even just these, these basic patterns of good health, then you have to figure out well, what, um, why, why are you on a diet? Why do you want, care about your health? You know, if, if it, is it to improve your tennis performance? Is it to, to see your grandkids, you know, to, to, be old enough to see grandkids, whatever, like whatever's driving you to, to, to eat like an adult essentially. And now I, I'll start to sound like a little bit like a prick, but like <laughs> to some degree we have to eat like adults. Like I would love to eat pizza and donuts all day, every day. Like they're delicious, right? Like, but you just can't do it. And I think, um, kind of stepping up a little bit and even though what, what might be considered as, you know, I don't eat that bad or I eat kind of normal or average compared to other people I see, um, you know, that, oftentimes, um, I guess it depends who you're around and what you see, but like, that's oftentimes pretty terrible. And so kind of resetting your compass for like, okay, what's, what should my normal pattern of eating be like? And then I can branch off and have some indulgences. Uh, I just had a macaron, um, before I, you know, after lunch or before I came here, like, it's not like I'm like Spartan, but like, you know, there's some of these key things that I, I make sure to you know, stick to.
0: Love that Jeff. Appreciate that. Um, Oh, do you mind actually, uh, un-sharing so oh, can- sure. Yeah. get you at the end here. Yeah, Awesome, Jeff. Uh, So yeah, I appreciate that that wonderful presentation. And uh, like I said, I highly encourage you all to check out Jeff's nutrition course. We'll have links below this video. So check them all out. Uh, And uh, Jeff, just want to ask you one final question here today, which is, uh, what is one key tip that you can give our audience
2: to help them uh, improve their diet? Ah, yeah. Um, I guess just to sum it down to one thing. Um, I, I, I gotta just have two.
0: <laughs> sure. That's fine. I, uh, I'll let you do. It.
2: I think, I think protein, I think eat breakfast with protein. And I think, um, and let me just qualify that further. Cause I'm sure there's gonna be someone listening saying, Oh, I, I skipped breakfast. I feel good. Um, and, and yeah, no breakfast is probably better than a donut breakfast or a muffin breakfast, but until you've really gotten into a groove with, with some breakfast of protein. But I guess my one, the the big one then would be to stop eating at a certain time. And what that time is for you, it'd be different for everybody. It doesn't have to be 7 PM like I do, but I do think making some effort to let's say not eat dinner too late and then don't eat after dinner. So whatever that means for you. And and logistically, if you got to go home and eat with a spouse, try to eat earlier and then don't eat after dinner. And that is one of the, the single biggest things I think yeah, that, that I think it would, would, would help people
0: awesome Jeff, well, like i said uh, awesome awesome having you on the summit as always, and uh, really enjoy talking with you and uh, really appreciate all the great work that you 've been doing uh, it 's always fun to talk to people who really know their stuff, uh, and you 're definitely one of them so uh, it's really fun. thanks for coming on to chat and uh, to to teach us all of this about the different diets and and the best diets for us i I know that a lot of people. Uh, will enjoy this one and uh, and really improve their health, their tennis, and their lives uh, from this presentation. So uh, thanks so much, Jeff. Really appreciate it.
2: Awesome. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: All right. I really hope you enjoyed this episode with Jeff Rothschild on the best diet for your tennis game. And if you enjoyed this episode and if you like the Tennis Falls podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast. So you can do that by going to... Uh, iTunes, Spotify, or any other podcast app that you're using right now to listen to the show and just leave a review. I really appreciate that. And I would also like to leave you with a quote at the end of today's show, like I often do. And today's quote is by Satsuki Shibuya. And Satsuki said, by doing what you love, you inspire and awaken the hearts of others. I love that quote. And that's what I'm trying to do with with Tennis Files and the podcast and so forth and my YouTube channel, just trying to extract the best tips and advice for your tennis game and uh, hopefully inspiring you to play better tennis and enriching your knowledge of the game and everything you need to do to be successful. And a lot of this will transfer over to success in your life as well. So I uh, really appreciate you listening to the show. And it's also really been cool meeting several of you at the city open. Uh, there, there's been several people who have come up to me and, and mentioned that they've listened to this show or they're fans of Tennis Files. And uh, I was actually in my friend Will Hamilton from uh, Frazzy Balls in his suite the other day. And uh, shout out to Linda, who I met. Uh, he texted me and mentioned that she was a fan as well. And so, yeah, just really cool stuff. And I really appreciate all your support of the show, and there's uh, big big things coming for it uh, down the pike very soon. So, uh, again, all the best. Keep improving your tennis game day by day. Even 1% each day is, is going to be huge in the long run, and make sure that you're planning out your practices and what you want to do in your matches and so forth. So, all the best, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.